Heavenly Father, as we come before your word tonight, we pray that we might meet the living Jesus. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bubble up inside us as you have promised to give it to us. And we pray that you would help us all to meet you here now. Amen. Well, how are you? How are you all? Okay, had a good week? For some of us, it's been a great week because we've been on holiday. For others, that's perhaps not been so joyful. The news hasn't been good, has it? Earthquakes in New Zealand, people losing their lives, political unrest in North Africa and the Middle East, loss of jobs, fears of redundancy... And I wondered how we are fared, if we're followers of Jesus, being able to offer the gift that Jesus does to our friends and families. We know, of course, that this is what Jesus wants us to do if we're his followers, because we know of his instructions to his disciples to go out in pairs and declare the good news of salvation. The news that the kingdom of heaven is near, the Messiah has come. Well, I guess for most of us here, and I include myself in this, it's not been easy this week. The reality is it's difficult for us to do. Well, if that's the case, it's good to see how Jesus managed challenging situations in life. And I think we have a challenging situation here in our reading tonight. So if you'd like to turn to John chapter 4, you'll find it on page 1067 of your Bible. And we're going to meet with the living God tonight in this gospel. Now, if we go on to chapter 21, we read in John's gospel why John wrote this account of Jesus' life. The reason he gives in chapter 1 is so that people could discover who this Jesus was and is. So if you want to share the historic Jesus with friends, the words of John's Gospel, whatever translation we use, are very powerful. Look at verse 41 at the end of the passage we had tonight. Because of his words, many believed. The power of Jesus' words to change the unbelief of the Samaritans into belief. And we need to use his words, don't we? Not ours, in bringing people to Jesus but I get in front of myself rather. Because who is this Jesus that we seek to share and John proclaims? Well, I don't know how you feel about this passage, but I love this passage in front of us. Can you see it in your mind's eye, a bit like a film set? The dusty streets of the Samaritan village of Sychar. The heat of the noonday sun that you would get in that country. The quiet of the well-placed. There's no one there apart from an outcast woman. A woman who had lived such a life that crossed all the religious and moral boundaries of her age. The other Samaritan women would have fetched their water from the same well in the cool of the early morning and the evening. But this woman couldn't or wouldn't join them because of the rebukes, the bitchiness, the condemnation of the other woman because she had lived a sexually promiscuous life. And it's into this situation that Jesus walks. He's alone, 
because his disciples had gone to look for food. And Jesus had come from the land of the Jews into the land of the Samaritans. Those people who had been Jews, but who had married people of other races, so defiling the Jewish stock. And as a result of this, the religious Jews of the day would have nothing to do with the Samaritans. In fact, they hated them. And yet Jesus walks into their land, he walks into their village, and he talks to a Samaritan woman. Now we need to put this into the context of Jewish men, because pure Jewish men didn't even speak to women in the open street at all. They wouldn't even speak to other Jewish women, and they wouldn't even speak to their own wives in the street, because they believed it defiled them. And so they became ritually unclean. And so we see here in the introduction to this passage that Jesus broke the two norms of his society, being in the land of the Samaritans and speaking to a defiled woman who lived a life of sexual sin. And so as we present Jesus to our friends and neighbours, what type of Jesus do we share with them? Well, let's look at this man portrayed here by John because it may well help us in our task of witnessing to him. And I think we see four things about this Jesus in our passage tonight. And the first one is this. We see a Jesus who accepts different types of people. If you turn back to chapter 3, which I think was last week's passage, we read that Jesus spent time with a man called Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a conservative, religious, Jewish man, a very well-educated man. And in chapter 3, Jesus appears to be at ease with this man. He accepts him, yet he challenges him as well. And he offers this man the way to eternal life, telling him that he must be born of water and of the Spirit. And when we come to our passage tonight, chapter 4, we see Jesus accepting a very opposite type of person. He meets the woman. He speaks to her. He shows his acceptance of her. He offers her the same as he does Nicodemus. That is, eternal life, using the language of living water to indicate the Spirit of God. And as we continue to study the Gospels, we see that Jesus meets many different types of people. Those who are blind, those who are filled with evil spirits, and those who are lame, those that are in high places of authority, those that are very religious. And in all these encounters, encounters we see that Jesus challenges them and he offers them uh, the way forward. He offers them the opportunity for salvation. We likewise, in our lives, will meet many different types of people with different needs, some of whom will challenge us, some of whom we may criticise. If you like to put it into perhaps a more modern context, like this woman, it might be the girl who has body piercing all over the visible parts of her body. Or it might be the single mum who spend money on drugs and alcohol. What our society would say is not acceptable. Well, Jesus responds to the Samaritan woman. Yes, he challenges her, but he also makes contact with her. And we need to do with that with those in our society as well, don't we? as we share Jesus with them. But secondly, I think in this passage, we see a Jesus who identifies people's needs and he offers solutions. 
This follows on from chapter 3, where Jesus had identified Nicodemus' need and offered him a solution. Well, in this chapter, if you look at verse 7, we read how Jesus does this. Jesus creates a situation into which communication can take place. He asks the Samaritan woman a question, a very simple question. Will you give me a drink? Now, if he hadn't have done this, there wouldn't have been a dialogue because the woman, even sinful ones, wouldn't have crossed that boundary of social norms separating men and women in the streets of the town. So Jesus creates the way that communication can take place. And as we share Jesus, as we seek to share Jesus, we may need to do this. We may need to create a situation through which communication can take place. There may well be a variety of ways that we can do this, depending on your own particular situation. Having coffee, going for a drink, a walk, participating in a sport, taking time to sit with your friend or your child. But look out for what God has given to you and use it to get to the heart of the need. Because this is what Jesus does with this woman. Now, as you look at this passage... I love the banter that is going on. Look at verses 10 through to about 16. Jesus offers her living water in verse 10. The woman questions his ability to do this and the nature of the living water in verse 11. And she brings this into this, the question of the Samaritan's history and lineage. She says their ancestor Jacob drank the water at the well. This water was good enough for him and all the members of her race. But Jesus brushes this aside and by stating the difference between this water from the well and his water. And it's an opportunity for him to offer her a gift. Jesus sees her need. And Jesus can see into the life and heart of that woman. And later we see how he knows of her marital situation of the brokenness, the isolation that she must have endured. He identifies her need, not for fresh water that comes from the well, but for the need for spiritual water that will be continuous throughout her life and meet her spiritual and bodily needs. And this is what he offers her in verse 10, the living water. Not only will this water last, but it won't come from a well. It will be a gift of God and spring up from within her body. Look carefully at verses 13 and 14. This gift of God is life. It's the living Holy Spirit. Now this is staggering if you consider the nature of this sinful woman. But she clearly wants it. But she's still confused with the issue, with the need for physical water to quench her natural need for water. But Jesus' gift to her is living water that will give her eternal life. And this is the message of Jesus that he constantly gives to people. Just a few references to back this up. The message of Jesus in John 3, verses 5 to 8, we have the same message. He says this, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born of water and spirit. 
And in chapter 7, verse 37 to 40, we have the same message again to the chief priests and Pharisees. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And again in chapter 6, verse 35 to 40, we have the same message, but this time in the form of bread to eat rather than water to drink. But again, Jesus is promising eternal life to those who believe in him. And this is the wonderful promise that we've got to offer people as we share Jesus with them. The only requirement needed for this gift is belief and faith to be accepted. So this wonderful gift that Jesus offers this woman... But we see also his ability to see the need within the woman. Because in verse 16 and 17, he appears to go off at a tangent here. Because he questions her marital status. Now in doing this, he's giving her the opportunity to make the insight into who he really is. And the issue is a spiritual one rather than a physical one of thirst. We see this in verse 19, where she declares that Jesus must be a prophet because he knows of her personal situation. Jesus had found a way of moving the woman on from the immediate physical needs to a spiritual need. And surely this is what we need to do, this should be our aim as well, to move people from their physical realm to their spiritual realm. Now in my professional life, I have uh, taught uh, a few groups of youngsters RE in, uh, in, in, my, in my teaching career. And I can clearly see and identify the lack of spiritual perception in many of their lives. The physical world to them is a reality. But for many, the spiritual world is a closed book. They live in a world that emphasizes here in England the physical the commercial, the latest gadget, the latest phone, the world of relationships. But the concept of a spiritual being and the reality is beyond many of them to conceive and to understand. And we live, don't we, in a society that has moved away from spiritual realities. I often think how it would be great to be able to take some of these youngsters to Africa or to India not necessarily for a Christian experience, but for a spiritual experience, because they would experience a very different life than we have in England. And this is what we're facing as we try and share Jesus with people today. Jesus, here in this account, met the woman, he identified her need, he moved her on from her physical needs to her spiritual needs. He offered her the gift of eternal life. All she needed to do was accept it. Well, of course, as Christians here tonight, we also have needs. I asked you at the start, what was your week? How has your week been? For some of us, there have been joys as well as sadness. For others, fears. Fears concerning health, the loss of a loved one, the fear of a loss of a job, or the inability to get a job. Well, Jesus doesn't offer to take us out of the world in which we live. But we can be encouraged that he has given us the eternal water of life, the Holy Spirit, which he promises will bubble up in us if we have given our lives to him 
and believe that he is the Son of God. So thirdly, we see a man here called Jesus who offers the gift of living water, the Spirit of God. Now, as we read the Bible, we see quite a lot about living water. It's an image that is used quite a lot because water is a very valuable resource, especially in a hot, dry country like that of Israel. People need water frequently to overcome thirst and continue life. Water brings life to fields and to plants and animals. And the image of living water would have been understood by the people of that region. It's an image used in the Old Testament. We read in Isaiah 58, verse 11, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. In Jeremiah 2, we read how the people of God had forsaken him. Verse 13 of Jeremiah says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns that cannot hold water. God's people in Jeremiah had deserted him and gone after false gods which couldn't provide living water. This image of water is very strong. It's moving, it's bubbling, it gives life to where it flows. And this is what the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, does to people. As followers of Jesus, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus offers living water in the form of the Holy Spirit. And we can encourage the work of the Spirit by seeking to do God's will, by repenting and walking close to him, by opening up our hearts and minds and will to his Spirit and believing that Jesus has the ability and authority to do this. Now Jesus goes on this, in this passage to develop this point concerning the Spirit of God when he talks to the woman concerning true worship of God. If you look at verse 23 and 4, he says this, True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. True worship is not place dependent. You don't need to be in a temple. You don't need to be in a church or an abbey or on the side of a hill. True worship is spirit dependent. In other words, our hearts have to be ready to worship God, which can be done in any location. And this, of course, is only possible when God's Holy Spirit lives in the heart of the believer, which is what Jesus was offering to the Samaritan woman and offers to us. But lastly, I think in this passage, we see the man Jesus whose words change people's lives. Look at verses 39 to 42, the last section we had read. We see here that people believed in Jesus because of what the Samaritan woman had said. Her witness to what she had seen, heard and done had reaped a result. Many people came to hear about this man Jesus and his claim. And this of course can be our experience too as we witness to our experience of Jesus to our friends and family and colleagues. But secondly, we see the effects of Jesus' words upon people themselves. Look at verse 42. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is 
the saviour of the world. They had heard the witness of the Samaritan woman, but they met with the man Jesus. They heard his words for themselves. Witness is obviously very important. It paves the way for people coming to belief. But the critical point is when people meet Jesus and hear his words. And that's why today the New Testament is so important. Why it's so important that the Gideons can place Bibles in hotels, hospitals, give New Testaments to school children. Because through these, people can experience Jesus' words for themselves and come to faith. And that's why the discipline of reading the Bible is so important in the training in families for children to read it on a regular basis. That's why it's important for all of us to continue to read so that we can meet with Jesus through the words he spoke. And so can I, in conclusion, ask you this question tonight? Have you recently heard the words of Jesus speaking to you? And if you have, how have you responded? Each one of us, however long we've been a follower of Jesus, need to hear Jesus' words to us on a regular basis, don't we? Because they will encourage us, they will challenge us, and they will build up our faith in the Son of God who came to offer the living water, the gift of salvation, and the Holy Spirit to all who believe in him. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word tonight, we pray that we might meet the living Jesus. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bubble up inside us as you have promised to give it to us. And we pray that you would help us all to meet you here now. Amen. Well, how are you? How are you all? Okay, had a good week? For some of us, it's been a great week because we've been on holiday. For others, that's perhaps not been so joyful. The news hasn't been good, has it? Earthquakes in New Zealand, people losing their lives, political unrest in North Africa and the Middle East, loss of jobs, fears of redundancy... And I wondered how we are fared, if we're followers of Jesus, being able to offer the gift that Jesus does to our friends and families. We know, of course, that this is what Jesus wants us to do if we're his followers, because we know of his instructions to his disciples to go out in pairs and declare the good news of salvation. The news that the kingdom of heaven is near, the Messiah has come. Well, I guess for most of us here, and I include myself in this, it's not been easy this week. The reality is it's difficult for us to do. Well, if that's the case, it's good to see how Jesus managed challenging situations in life. And I think we have a challenging situation here in our reading tonight. So if you'd like to turn to John chapter 4, you'll find it on page 1067 of your Bible. And we're going to meet with the living God tonight in this gospel. 
Now, if we go on to chapter 21, we read in John's Gospel why John wrote this account of Jesus' life. The reason he gives in chapter 1 is so that people could discover who this Jesus was and is. So if you want to share the historic Jesus with friends, the words of John's Gospel, whatever translation we use, are very powerful. Look at verse 41 at the end of the passage we had tonight. Because of his words, many believed. The power of Jesus' words to change the unbelief of the Samaritans into belief. And we need to use his words, don't we? Not ours, in bringing people to Jesus. But I get in front of myself, rather. Because who is this Jesus that we seek to share and John proclaims? Well, I don't know how you feel about this passage, but I love this passage in front of us. Can you see it in your mind's eye, a bit like a film set? The dusty streets of the Samaritan village of Sychar. The heat of the noonday sun that you would get in that country. The quiet of the well place. There's no one there apart from an outcast woman. A woman who had lived such a life that crossed all the religious and moral boundaries of her age. The other Samaritan women would have fetched their water from the same well in the cool of the early morning and the evening. But this woman couldn't or wouldn't join them because of the rebukes, the bitchiness, the condemnation of the other woman because she had lived a sexually promiscuous life. And it's into this situation that Jesus walks. He's alone because his disciples had gone to look for food. And Jesus had come from the land of the Jews into the land of the Samaritans. Those people who had been Jews, but who had married people of other races, so defiling the Jewish stock. And as a result of this, the religious Jews of the day would have nothing to do with the Samaritans. In fact, they hated them. And yet Jesus walks into their land, he walks into their village, and he talks to a Samaritan woman. Now we need to put this into the context of Jewish men, because pure Jewish men didn't even speak to women in the open street at all. They wouldn't even speak to other Jewish women, and they wouldn't even speak to their own wives in the street, because they believed it defiled them. And so they became ritually unclean. And so we see here in the introduction to this passage that Jesus broke the two norms of his society, being in the land of the Samaritans and speaking to a defiled woman who lived a life of sexual sin. And so as we present Jesus to our friends and neighbours, what type of Jesus do we share with them? Well, let's look at this man portrayed here by John because it may well help us in our task of witnessing to him. And I think we see four things about this Jesus in our passage tonight. And the first one is this. We see a Jesus who accepts different types of people. If you turn back to chapter 3, which uh, I think was last week's uh, passage, we read that Jesus spent time with a man called Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a conservative, religious, Jewish man, a very well-educated man. And in chapter 3, Jesus appears to be at ease with this man. He accepts him, yet he challenges him as well. 
And he offers this man the way to eternal life, telling him that he must be born of water and of the Spirit. And when we come to our passage tonight, chapter 4, we see Jesus accepting a very opposite type of person. He meets the woman. He speaks to her. He shows his acceptance of her. He offers her the same as he does Nicodemus. That is, eternal life, using the language of living water to indicate the Spirit of God. And as we continue to study the Gospels, we see that Jesus meets many different types of people. Those who are blind, those who are filled with evil spirits, and those who are lame, those that are in high places of authority, those that are very religious. And in all these encounters, encounters, we see that Jesus challenges them and he offers them uh, the way forward. He offers them the opportunity for salvation. We likewise, in our lives, will meet many different types of people with different needs, some of whom will challenge us, some of whom we may criticise. If you like to put it into perhaps a more modern context, like this woman, it might be the girl who has body piercing all over the visible parts of her body. Or it might be the single mum who spend money on drugs and alcohol. What our society would say is not acceptable. Well, Jesus responds to the Samaritan woman. Yes, he challenges her, but he also makes contact with her. And we need to do with that with those in our society as well, don't we? As we share Jesus with them. But secondly, I think in this passage, we see a Jesus who identifies people's needs and he offers solutions. This follows on from chapter 3, where Jesus had identified Nicodemus' need and offered him a solution. Well, in this chapter, if you look at verse 7, we read how Jesus does this. Jesus creates a situation into which communication can take place. He asks the Samaritan woman a question, a very simple question. Will you give me a drink? Now, if he hadn't have done this, there wouldn't have been a dialogue because the woman, even sinful ones, wouldn't have crossed that boundary of social norms separating men and women in the streets of the town. So Jesus creates the way that communication can take place. And as we share Jesus, as we seek to share Jesus, we may need to do this. We may need to create a situation through which communication can take place. There may well be a variety of ways that we can do this, depending on your own particular situation. Having coffee, going for a drink, a walk, participating in a sport, taking time to sit with your friend or your child. But look out for what God has given to you and use it to get to the heart of the need. Because this is what Jesus does with this woman. Now, as you look at this passage... I love the banter that is going on. Look at verses 10 through to about 16. Jesus offers her living water in verse 10. The woman questions his ability to do this and the nature of the living water in verse 11. And she brings this into this, the question of the Samaritan's history and lineage. She says their ancestor Jacob drank the water at the well. This water was good enough for him and all the members of her race. But Jesus brushes this aside and by stating the difference between this water from the well and his water. 
And it's an opportunity for him to offer her a gift. Jesus sees her need. And Jesus can see into the life and heart of that woman. And later, we see how he knows of her marital situation, of the brokenness, the isolation that she must have endured. He identifies her need, not for fresh water that comes from the well, but for the need for spiritual water that will be continuous throughout her life and meet her spiritual and bodily needs. And this is what he offers her in verse 10, the living water. Not only will this water last, but it won't come from a well, it will be a gift of God and spring up from within her body. Look carefully at verses 13 and 14. This gift of God is life. It's the living Holy Spirit. Now this is staggering if you consider the nature of this sinful woman. But she clearly wants it but she's still confused with the issue, with the need for physical water to quench her natural need for water. But Jesus' gift to her is living water that will give her eternal life. And this is the message of Jesus that he constantly gives to people. Just a few references to back this up. The message of Jesus in John 3, verses 5 to 8, we have the same message. He says this, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born of water and spirit. And in chapter 7, verse 37 to 40, we have the same message again to the chief priests and Pharisees. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And again in chapter 6, verse 35 to 40, we have the same message, but this time in the form of bread to eat rather than water to drink. But again, Jesus is promising eternal life to those who believe in him. And this is the wonderful promise that we've got to offer people as we share Jesus with them. The only requirement needed for this gift is belief and faith to be accepted. So this wonderful gift that Jesus offers this woman. But we see also his ability to see the need within the woman because in verse 16 and 17 he appears to go off at a tangent here because he questions her marital status. Now in doing this, he's giving her the opportunity to make the insight into who he really is. And the issue is a spiritual one rather than a physical one of thirst. We see this in verse 19, where she declares that Jesus must be a prophet because he knows of her personal situation. Jesus had found a way of moving the woman on from the immediate physical needs to a spiritual need. And surely this is what we need to do. This should be our aim as well, to move people from their physical realm to their spiritual realm. Now in my professional life, I have uh, taught uh, a few groups of youngsters RE in, uh, in, in, my, in my teaching career. And I can clearly see and identify the lack of spiritual perception in many of their lives. The physical world to them is a reality, but for many, the spiritual world is a closed book. 
They live in a world that emphasizes here in England the physical, the commercial, the latest gadget, the latest phone, the world of relationships. But the concept of a spiritual being in the reality is beyond many of them to conceive and to understand. And we live, don't we, in a society that has moved away from spiritual realities. I often think how it would be great to be out to take some of these youngsters to Africa or to India. Not necessarily for a Christian experience, but for a spiritual experience. Because they would experience a very different life than we have in England. And this is what we're facing as we try and share Jesus with people today. Jesus, here in this account, met the woman, he identified her need, he moved her on from her physical needs to her spiritual needs. He offered her the gift of eternal life. All she needed to do was accept it. Well, of course, as Christians here tonight, we also have needs. I asked you at the start, what was your week? How has your week been? For some of us, there have been joys as well as sadness. For others, fears. Fears concerning health, the loss of a loved one, the fear of a loss of a job, or the inability to get a job. Well, Jesus doesn't offer to take us out of the world in which we live. But we can be encouraged that he has given us the eternal water of life, the Holy Spirit, which he promises will bubble up in us if we have given our lives to him and believe that he is the Son of God. So thirdly, we see a man here called Jesus who offers the gift of living water, the Spirit of God. Now, as we read the Bible, we see quite a lot about living water. It's an image that is used quite a lot because water is a very valuable resource, especially in a hot, dry country like that of Israel. People need water frequently to overcome thirst and continue life. Water brings life to fields and to plants and animals. And the image of living water would have been understood by the people of that region. It's an image used in the Old Testament. We read in Isaiah 58 verse 11, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. In Jeremiah 2, we read how the people of God had forsaken him. Verse 13 of Jeremiah says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns that cannot hold water. God's people in Jeremiah had deserted him and gone after false gods which couldn't provide living water. This image of water is very strong. It's moving, it's bubbling. It gives life to where it flows. And this is what the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, does to people. As followers of Jesus, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus offers living water in the form of the Holy Spirit. And we can encourage the work of the Spirit by seeking to do God's will, by repenting and walking close to him, by opening up our hearts and minds and will to his Spirit and believing that Jesus has the ability and authority to do this. 
Now, Jesus goes on this, in this passage to develop this point concerning the Spirit of God when he talks to the woman concerning true worship of God. If you look at verse 23 and 4, he says this, True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. True worship is not place-dependent. You don't need to be in a temple. You don't need to be in a church or an abbey or on the side of a hill. True worship is spirit-dependent. In other words, our hearts have to be ready to worship God, which can be done in any location. And this, of course, is only possible when God's Holy Spirit lives in the heart of the believer, which is what Jesus was offering to the Samaritan woman and offers to us. But lastly, I think in this passage, we see the man Jesus whose words change people's lives. Look at verses 39 to 42, the last section we had read. We see here that people believed in Jesus because of what the Samaritan woman had said. Her witness to what she had seen, heard and done had reaped a result. Many people came to hear about this man Jesus and his claim. And this, of course, can be our experience too, as we witness to our experience of Jesus, to our friends and family and colleagues. But secondly, we see the effects of Jesus' words upon people themselves. Look at verse 42. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. They had heard the witness of the Samaritan woman, but they met with the man Jesus. They heard his words for themselves. Witness is obviously very important. It paves the way for people coming to belief. But the critical point is when people meet Jesus and hear his words. And that's why today the New Testament is so important. Why it's so important that the Gideons can place Bibles in hotels, hospitals, give New Testaments to school children. Because through these, people can experience Jesus' words for themselves and come to faith. And that's why the discipline of reading the Bible is so important in the training in families for children to read it on a regular basis. That's why it's important for all of us to continue to read so that we can meet with Jesus through the words he spoke. And so can I, in conclusion, ask you this question tonight? Have you recently heard the words of Jesus speaking to you? And if you have, how have you responded? Each one of us, however long we've been a follower of Jesus, need to hear Jesus' words to us on a regular basis, don't we? Because they will encourage us, they will challenge us, and they will build up our faith in the Son of God who came to offer the living water, the gift of salvation, and the Holy Spirit to all who believe in him. Amen.